She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Season 3. Episode 17. Pusher. This episode is a Monster of the Week episode and originally aired Friday, February 23rd, 1996. It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Vince Gilligan and directed by Rob Bowman. This is Vince Gilligan's second episode as a writer. His first was Soft Light in season two. In this episode, a suspected serial killer is apprehended, but escapes when the patrol car he's being held in inexplicably drives in front of an oncoming truck. All of the murders he's been suspected of, and apparently confessed to, have been ruled suicides. Mulder believes the killer is using some kind of power of persuasion to force people to hurt themselves. So Mulder and Scully must try to track him down and prove that he's a killer before anyone else dies. So we are at Mount Foodmore Supermarket in Loudoun County, Virginia, and we see people moving through the produce section of the grocery store, putting things in their cart. Basically, we see people shopping. And we see one man, he turns down an aisle and he grabs a container of V8. And then he grabs a can of Carbo Boost drink. And then he basically just like dumps the entire shelf of Carbo Boost drinks into his cart. And then we see some other guy come into the aisle and is watching the man fill his basket. And that guy grabs a box of cookies. But he's kind of really there, looks like, to watch the other dude. He follows him to the register. And at the register, the first man sees a tabloid weekly world informer and it has a sketch of the fluke man on it and in big letters it's all he's back fluke man found washed up in martha's vineyard and he (laughs) kind of laughs and picks it up and is flipping through it so then through the windows of the store he sees a police car pulling into the parking lot and he's like let's get this show on the road and he reaches over and grabs the coat of the guy in front of him and pulls a patch down on it and it reveals that it says fbi and then boom the agent turns and then the guy behind him grabs him and they slam him down onto the little spinny thing off the checkout and they're all federal agents. And then agent Frank Burst walks in and is like, you must be pusher. And he's, of course, he's talking to the guy they've got, you know, pressed down. And he's like, you must be Frank Burst. Gotta say, you got the greatest name. And then Burst tells Agent Collins, the one who was getting cookies and looks like he could be Keanu Reeves' stunt double, honestly, starts to read Pusher his rights, and they're going to get him out of there. So they pick up Pusher and walk him out while they're reading him his rights. And Burst says that he wants Pusher in a waist chain, leg irons, and he wants him in a cage, and that he'll ride shotgun. So apparently this guy is someone that you don't want to get away, it mm-hmm. seems like. So then the car with Pusher... Is at the end of a long line of like police and FBI vehicle. I think there's like six or seven of them all together. And they're like all waiting to make a left-hand turn. And then Burst from the front seat says it would really help them out if he'd give them his name. And he tells Burst that Pusher is good enough. And then he tells the deputy driving that his uniform is the most soothing shade of blue. And like he notices those kind of things. It's a sky blue, very calming, very tranquil. He thinks that particular shade is called cerulean. And he keeps going on and Burst is like, okay, we get it. It's a nice blue. Come on. But Pusher just keeps on going like cerulean blue. And then they're waiting for their turn. And then from a distance, like maybe a block or two away, we see this tanker truck turning and coming down the road towards them. And Burst tells Pusher to put a sock in it because he's still like going on about the cerulean blue. But he's like, cerulean blue, cerulean. I think it reminds me of a gentle breeze, gentle breeze. 
And then we see the deputy's point of view and he's looking to make his left hand turn. And then all of a sudden the truck just like, like just disappears, like vanishes. And so he's like, oh, cool, I can go. So he puts his foot on the gas and turns out right in front of the truck. And then Pusher jumps down in the seat and braces himself against the door. And the truck like, honks his horn and bursts is like, stop. And then the truck just kapow, slams into them. And as it does, we see the front of the truck has the words cerulean painted on it. Creepy. Yep. And the truck is also kind of like a light blue, too. Yeah, it's a blue color for sure. Yep. Like, they all have their, like, the police. I mean, obviously, the federal agent cars don't. I mean, sure they have, like, the interior ones. But, like, the police cars all have their lights on. Like, I don't know why they just sat there and, like, let themselves get separated. Because all the other cars have turned. And, like, he's sitting there waiting because, like, there's, there's traffic. So he can't turn left. And so they get separated from everybody else. Like, why don't you just, like, flip on your siren and go? And then also, why is the car with the perp in it, like, the last car? It should be in the middle. So it's protected and always visible by people in the back and people in the front. Like, why is it the last one? Yeah, Doesn't that was like weird. Plan. The whole point of those convoys is to have cars in front and in back of it. So it was weird yeah. that it was like the last one. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, weird. Pusher is played by Robert Wisden. He will actually be in one more episode of The X-Files, and he'll be in two episodes of Millennium as two different characters. He looked really familiar to me, but I think it's just because he kind of has a really strong Sam Neill vibe going on. Mm, okay yeah i see i didn't i wouldn't have realized that but now that you said it yeah i get it yeah i think that's what it is but he also had recurring roles on stargate sg1 and smallville and he's appeared on the outer limits the twilight zone and he's been in movies including final destination and legends of the fall so he's been in stuff but i think i just recognize him because stuff man he looks kind of like sam neill so (laughs) yeah i would not have thought that but yeah i totally see that now that you said it yeah Always got Jurassic Park on the brain somewhere. So <laughs> so in the X-Files office, there's a slide on the screen of the deputy who is driving the car dead on the pavement. And Burst is in the office with Mulder and Scully. And he's telling them that the deputy died of his injuries. But before he succumbed, he managed to get out of the vehicle, pull his keys from his pocket. And he spent his last breath unlocking the prisoner, who, despite his own injuries, managed to escape on foot. And we see that Burst's face is bruised from the accident and he has some bandages under his eye. And Mulder asks what the prisoner's story is. So Burst tells him that Pusher called him about a month ago and confessed to a series of contract killings over the past two years. And Scully's like, oh, so he wanted to turn himself in? And Burst says, no, he was bragging. The thing about those murders is that no one considers them murders. They're all officially suicides. And Scully asks if he thinks Pusher was just a crank. But Burr says no, he knew too much about every case. And she asks what connection the deputy had to Pusher. And Burr says none that he knows of. He was a good cop. And Scully's like, well, then why did he free the prisoner? So Burr changes the slide. And now it shows the blue big rig that slammed into them. And the door on the big rig says, Cerulean Hauling. And Burst tells them that Pusher kept rambling about Cerulean Blue and how it reminded him of a gentle breeze over and over. And then the deputy pulled into the truck. And Mulder says, so you think Pusher somehow talked him into doing this? So he changes the slide again, and it shows the letters N-I-N-O-R written on the squad car in blood. And Burst says that Pusher likes to leave clues. 
So Mulder picks up the slide and he actually turns it around and then puts it back in. So it displays backwards. And now we can see it says Ronin. And Mulder's like, Ronin is a samurai without a master. And Scully's like, what does that mean? And Mulder says it means he knows 10 to 1, but this guy has stacked on the back of his toilet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Frank Burst is played by Vic Palizos. He had recurring roles on Boston Legal and Who's the Boss? And he's also appeared on Picket Fences, Murder, She Wrote, Diagnosis Murder, and NYPD Blue, among others. So he's been on a lot of stuff. So at a library, Mulder drops a stack of magazines on a table, and the one on top is American Ronin. And it's got a photo of a woman wearing a headband, and she's holding up a sword. And then Mulder starts flipping through it. And then another agent, Holly Rice, brings in a stack and says, Issue 10. And we can see that she has like a like a black eye, basically. And Scully notices, and then Rice notices that Scully notices, and then Scully apologizes for being <laughs> noticed about noticing and says she couldn't help but notice. So lots of noticing going on in the scene. And then Rice says she was in Georgetown over the weekend when a guy knocked her down and stole her purse. And then Mulder's like, did they catch him? And Rice says, do they ever? And then she's like, no offense. And then excuse herself, which I'm not sure the no offense stuff because she's FBI too, but. Yeah, well, but I mean, yeah, they're trying to catch someone, so I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Holly Rice is played by Julia Arcos, and she will be on one more episode of The X-Files. She also played a PE coach in the movie Saved, and she was in three episodes of Dead Like Me and a handful of other things. Yeah, so then Scully tells Mulder she's not sure what they're looking for. And Mulder says, Samurais Without Masters have to advertise. And Scully's like, advertise for what? And Mulder's like, well, how did Pusher convince an otherwise honest deputy to free him? Mulder tells it, suggestion is a powerful force. The science of hypnosis is predicated on it, as are most TV commercials. They're designed to plant thoughts in your head. And Scully points out that inducing someone to pull out in front of a speeding truck is a little different than inducing them by hair color. And Mulder argues it's the same mechanism as suggestion. Also, he calls himself Pusher. Mulder says they can take that to mean he pushes his will on others. And Scully is like, okay, well, even if he can do that, why cause an accident when he himself is in the car? And Mulder says, maybe he didn't really want to go to jail. I mean, probably, I would assume. Like, most people don't. Yeah, I think yeah. she's just trying to say, well, he could have gotten really hurt in the accident pulling out in front of a truck. So maybe. Well, I know, but I'm saying like Mulder's like, well, maybe he didn't want to go to jail. And I'm like, well, duh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And they got the little, I, I'm assuming the little hair color thing was a, because Jillian Anderson dyes her hair for Scully. So I'm just guessing that because a weird thing to decide to say, unless you're being sexist and like, well, of course she's a woman. That's what she would talk about. So. Well, I don't know. I think there's also. I, I remember a lot of ads for hair color in the 90s. I'm so. willing to bet there aren't a lot of ads for hair color in like Soldier of Fortune type magazines, though. No, but no. I'm, I'm thinking like if she's thinking of ads she's seen on TV recently, hair yeah, color. I'm just guessing be it's because it's, it's a little it's a little in. Might because be. Because everyone has to be funny now since Darren Morgan signed on. There's going to be <laughs> lots of that going on in other episodes, too. So I'm assuming that's a little hair color thing because she dyes her hair red for this roll but anyway then Mulder spots an ad and he points to it and it's all I solve problems OSU and it's all in caps so we're assuming those are initials but we don't know and then it lists three phone numbers and Scully is trying to guess what OSU means and she says Ohio State University I mean I would have guessed Oregon State University because live in Oregon but Mulder says no the numbers are a Virginia area code and Mulder has seen that ad in every issue of this magazine dating back to April 1994. 
the time span of their murders, Scully says. And then Mulder stands up and he grabs an English to Japanese dictionary and he looks up Osu and he laughs. He's like, Osu, it's a Japanese word that means push. And then Scully suggests they run down the numbers in the ad. Guess it's a clue. Yay. That's like a Scooby-Doo level clue too, man. I know it really is. <laughs> it's very Scooby-Doo. It's like, we found this clue. Let's investigate. <laughs> So then we're at the Beltway commuter lot in Falls Church, Virginia. And it's nighttime and the lot has some cars parked in it, but it's mostly empty because obviously it's probably late and all the commuters have already gone home. And the payphone at the parking lot rings and Mulder and Scully are parked in a car in the lot, but they're a ways away from the payphone. And Scully is asleep and Mulder's watching the payphone ring and he's calling it on his cell phone, waiting to see if someone's going to come answer it. And then Mulder hangs up and he wakes Scully, who asks what time it is. And he says it's 20 to 3. And she's like, no luck, I take it. And Mulder says, nothing here or at the other two payphones. Mulder checked in with Burst and he's beginning to think this is a wild goose chase. But then the payphone rings. So Mulder and Scully exchange a look and then rush out of the car and race for the payphone. And Mulder answers and it's Pusher's voice on the line. And he asks, are you two just going to sit there all night? And so Scully calls someone else and whispers to begin the trace. And Mulder pulls out a tape recorder to try and record the call. And Pusher's like, I've been watching you, you and your pretty little partner. You seem awfully close. Do you work well together? And Mulder's like, who is this? What's your name? And Pusher's like, it's not that easy. You have to follow my breadcrumb trail and prove your worth. So far, you're doing well. And Mulder's like, why do I have to prove my worth? And Pusher doesn't really answer. And then Mulder's like, where's the next clue? And Pusher's like, it's right in front of you. Let your fingers do the walking. And he disconnects. So Scully's like on the phone with the person trying to trace and they didn't get a complete trace. And they think he's using some kind of digital scrambler. So Mulder repeats the clue, which is let your fingers do the walking. And Scully's like, phone book. And she reaches for the phone book. And she starts like, she's going to flip through it. But Mulder's like, I don't think that's it. What if Pusher was the last guy to use this phone? Can you redial on a payphone? And so Scully calls the other team and asks for the last number dialed out from this payphone location and to ring it on through. So they wait. The team apparently does all that. And the phone rings. Mulder picks it up, and it's a golf driving range and pro shop called Teetotalers. They're closed for the night, but he gets the voicemail and business name. So Mulder hangs up, and Scully's like, he's a killer and a golfer. And Mulder's like, rings a bell, huh? And I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be an OJ reference, because that's the only thing I could think of. I was trying to think, like, in 96, like, golfer yeah, killer. I yeah, I did a quick Google search and I typed in killer golf and then 1996. And then I did like killer and murder in 1996. And I also did 1995. And I got a hit on the murder golf 1995. The first thing that came up was OJ stuff. There was like an article in 
Vanity Fair about how after the trial, like his his old like golf club wouldn't let him in and stuff like that, and how he you know basically wasn't he was like a pariah now kind of thing. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking it's got to be the OJ thing because they're talking about the killer in golf. So yeah, I thought it had to be an OJ reference, but I didn't know if maybe I was just missing something else. That's what I thought of anyway. So. Yeah, the only other murder related thing that I could find that was even close that involved a golf course was about some little kid in England who got abducted and they found his body like near a golf course yeah so, i don't think that's what uh, they were talking about no so. I, I doubt it yeah so yeah so i'm thinking it's got to be the oj thing makes sense yeah so then at the driving range of we're assuming teetotalers it's daytime mm-hmm. and there's a couple of men hitting some balls and pusher comes over and he's like hello gentlemen like like he's a big man like talking 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 and he's like i'm using a non-sanctioned ball it's got a uranium core and then he like hits it and it flies super far and it lands near the edge of the fence. And then from like outside of the driving range, like from the backside of the fence, we can see that someone is kind of hiding in the bushes with a rifle. And then Pusher's like, about time. And then he bows to the men and says, Konnichiwa, gentlemen, I was never here. The dudes at the driving range were Japanese. And then he grabs his clubs and he takes off. So. Yeah, he doesn't just go around saying konnichiwa to everyone like some kind of weird weeaboo, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did, to be honest. Yeah, Yeah, honestly. We're going to kind of get an explanation for his powers later, but it also seems it has given him like telescopic vision because he's able to like see like super far this person in the bushes. And then like that truck was pretty far away to be reading what it says on the truck, too. So Mm -hmm. he's got like supervision apparently, too. So yeah, nice. Probably got like 25 vision or something. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So then some FBI SWAT members are moving along the side of the building. And one of them, Collins, from earlier, from the teaser, kicks in the back door to the storage area or something and pushes inside. And college shouts for him to get down. And the pusher puts his hands up and is like, whoa, okay, relax, relax. And then, like, super, like, easy. Like, Collins just, like, takes his helmet off and lowers his weapon and then Pusher asks to see his face because so he, he's got like on a balaclava kind of thing. So he pulls his mask off and then Pusher says, I need for you to do something for me. And he's holding like a gas can and he's like, will you do something for me? And then Collins is just like, no. So it's probably not going to end well. No, no. I can't imagine that it will. Yeah. So Burst, Scully and Mulder are moving around the side of the building. And then they come across Collins and he's pouring gasoline out of the can and he's crying. And we can see that he's wet and he's soaked in presumably gasoline too. And he's holding a lighter and Burst is like, Collins, what the hell are you doing? And Collins is still sobbing and his fingers on the lighter. And so Mulder seems to have figured out what he's doing. So he takes off his coat and he's like trying to talk to him. He's like, let it go. You know, the lighter, let it go. And Collins like screams. He's like, stop me, stop me. And then he flicks the lighter and Mulder like just tells him to put it down. And Scully runs off and she comes back with a fire extinguisher and Collins like tries to fight it, but his like hand just moves closer to his body and he presses the lighter against his midsection and his clothes ignite. So Scully sprays him with the extinguisher and Mulder runs toward him and he uses the coat to help douse the flames. And then on the ground, Collins face is red and blistered. And Burst calls for a burn unit, and Colin is just muttering, light up, light up, light up. And then this car horn sounds, and it's like a constant car horn noise, like 
just being laid on. So Scully and Burst stay with Collins and Mulder runs through the parking lot toward this white car with its horn blaring. And he opens the driver's seat and inside is Pusher who's slumped against the steering wheel. So Mulder like pulls his head back and we see that like Pusher is sweaty and he's breathing irregularly and he's repeating light up, light up, light up. And then he looks at Mulder and he says, bet you five bucks I get off. Then it's commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Collins looks messed up. He has got like layers of skin burned off. And yet I don't even think that fire would have burned through the gasoline by the time they got him to the ground and put it out. Cause like, cause he'd been, he'd been flipping the lighter like a lot. Right. Cause he'd been trying to light it for the whole time. He was talking to them. He was all flip, flip, flip. And then it finally ignited and then he burned himself. But like, as soon as it went up, like Scully was already there with the extinguisher and was like, and then, I know. Like, it was pretty quick. Yeah. Like, I mean, he probably would have got like maybe some singeing and maybe like his eyes might've got, you know, from the heat of the flame, that kind of stuff from the flare up. But like, there's no way he'd have been burned that bad. Come on. So yeah. also to, for his skin to be burned that bad, like he still got all his clothes. Like, yeah, I mean, I it's just know. for the visual. I'm I know. Sure. It's just kind of like, oh, come on, dude. Come on. I know how gasoline works. <laughs> but most people don't. <laughs> I guess. So. Yeah. It's like that trick you do. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you do this because you're not a guy, right? But like as a guy, you would do that trick where you'd get like a Bic lighter and you would just depress it and just hold it down on your thigh with like it cupped in your hand and then you and then you would click it and then raise your hands and you'd get a big ball of flame on the middle of your thigh but like nothing would be burned because it's all oh, just yeah no I, I try not to play with fire so yeah, it's not right, something so, I've ever done know, <laughs> boys you know what you do so yeah. like Mulder who once had a fear <laughs> of fire I'm not like I have a healthy respect for fire <laughs> So then we are in hearing room A, and we're at a Loudoun County courthouse, I guess, because it's very makeshift looking. There's like a table and like a chair for like the bench and the stand and everything. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's and, why we're in hearing room A and not courtroom A. I think. It's oh, not like a, maybe that's why. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, here I don't know. I, I thankfully I've never really been in court before, so I don't know how all that works. I just know from television. So there's a judge sitting at the table. And he was asking the defendant pusher to rise and state his name for the court. And he says his name is Robert Patrick Modell. And he gives an address in Alexandria, Virginia. And then we cut a little bit. So a little bit of time passes. And then Mulder is sitting on the makeshift stand. And the judge asks if it's correct that Mulder believes Modell is responsible for 14 murders. Mulder says that it is correct. And the judge kind of looks at the paperwork and says, in each of these cases, the coroner's office ruled these death suicides. And Mulder says they believe they were indeed murders. And the judge asks if he has any evidence. And Mulder says they have the defendant on audio tape confessing to the murders. On several occasions, Modell has identified them as such. Plus, Modell knows crime scene details that only the police were privy to. And then Modell's defense attorney says that one of the so-called murder victims threw themselves under a train. There was a crowded platform with hundreds of witnesses. No one pushed her or was even physically close to her. Mulder says that Modell was there, though. And then she says that's how he knew the crime scene details. And Mulder says he believes these people died because it was the defendant's express will that they do so. And Scully kind of does the like, oh. <laughs> she knows where this is going. Uh-huh, so. yeah. 
She does yeah. not think that this is going to go over well. You can just see it on her face. She's yeah. like, no. Mulder says that Modell admitted to being a killer for hire, and he thinks that he has a unique skill of suggestibility that allows him to talk victims into injuring themselves. And then, of course, the defense is like, you know, like, are you serious? And the judge asked Mulder to run it by him one more time because the judge is also clearly not buying this. Mm-hmm. So then Mulder says that yesterday a federal law enforcement officer was induced to self-immolate by the defendant and that Mulder witnessed it as did others. And then Burst says that they have Modell's confession. All they're asking is, and then like his lawyer that is sitting, because like Burst and the lawyer like sitting at the prosecution desk. And then so the lawyer like, you know, interrupts Burst and is like, the evidence in this case has been very difficult to compile. They're just asking for time to complete their investigation and for Modell to be held for trial on basis of his confession. And the judge asks Modell if he did confess on tape to 14 murders. And Modell's attorney whispers in his ear, and then he says yes. But unfortunately, he doesn't remember any of it. And then she says that it was just a drunken prank on the part of her client. And Mulder is like, "Mm," he's not looking happy. Mm -mm. And then says that Modell has had details about the crimes and then the judge asks Modell if he denies these charges. And Modell is like, absolutely, your honor. I'm not guilty. And the judge looks convinced and Mulder looks pissed. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. I mean, I don't know how Mulder thought this was going to go, but yeah. 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 Someone with possibly the powers of suggestion in a courtroom. How might that go? I know. Right. Well, plus their evidence is really shaky all around. It's not a great situation. And, you know, I mean, it's not like Polder trying to convince them like of something like, like with squeeze or tombs, like where they were. Still... But, you know, still, it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. The judge is played by Don McKay, and he's been in three previous episodes of the X-Files, including Beyond the Sea, The Host and The List. He will actually play Jack Meredith on Millennium. I don't know who that is yet, but excited to find out. And he's appeared on 21 Jump Street, Sliders, The Outer Limits and Supernatural. He's just hitting all the Vancouver mm-hmm. shoots. Yeah. Yeah. So Modell and his attorney are leaving the hearing room and Mulder, Scully and Burst are on the landing in the middle of the stairs. Like it's this big staircase and there's like a lot of space it on the landing. It looks a lot like the Haas from the Kalashari. Remember when they see yeah. Kevin and his mom leaving? It looks a lot like, like the windows and everything. I think it's the same location. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I would bet money. Yeah. Because it is the same kind of giant staircase where there's like room mm-hmm. to hang out. windows. Yeah. Yeah. So Modell walks up to them and tells Mulder that he owes him five bucks. So Mulder pulls out his wallet and he tells Modell that his shoe is untied. And Modell looks and Mulder's like, made you look. And he pulls out a fiver and Modell reaches for it, but Mulder kind of pulls it back out of his reach. And he's like, how do you do it? And Modell doesn't answer. He just walks away. So Burst, who's clearly frustrated, just calls after him. and He's like, hey, Modell, I know your name now. I know where you live. And Modell just keeps walking. So, yeah, not a good look, Burst, dude. What if something happened to that guy? I know. You are like prime suspect number one. So he's, I mean, he's, he looks even more mad than Mulder, to be honest, though. He looks. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's had, you know, I mean, obviously he knew Collins. Apparently they apparently worked together. And then like that deputy, I don't know if he Mm -hmm. knew him or not, but like, you know. Yeah. Oh, for sure. He was in the car too. So he's more personally invested. Plus he's been chasing this guy for a while. So just all around. 
So then at a shooting rage, Mulder just unloads on a paper target. Mulder's a dead eye. He's got some, mm, he's hitting, he's keeping them tight in the target. And then Scully comes in with a file folder and tells him she dug up a few more things on Robert Patrick Modell. And Mulder's like, let me guess. He was an average student. He attended an average community college. He did an average stint in the military. And then Scully asks which branch of the military. And Mulder says, not his first choice. He wanted to be a Navy SEAL or an Army Special Forces Green Beret, but washed out of both, not due to lack of intelligence. And he ended up being a supply clerk at Fort Bragg, served two years, and was given a general discharge. And then Scully asked Mulder if he knew that Modell had applied to the FBI, but he didn't even come close to passing the psych screening. They found him to be acutely egocentric and sees other people as objects. Also, he's extremely suspicious of government authority. <laughs> Which is not a good thing if you want to be an FBI agent. Yeah, if you want I, to I be prob- a government authority. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not, mm, that's weird. Yeah. So then Mulder looks at the psych report and Scully continues that the screening caught him in nearly half a dozen self-aggrandizing lies. He even claimed to have been trained by ninjas in Japan. And (laughs) Mulder says that ninjas are said to have the ability to cloud the minds of their opponents. And he certainly clouded the mind of the judge. And Scully says even if Modell had that ability, he wouldn't have needed to. They barely had a case against him. Mulder argues that they had enough to get past the preliminary hearing, but Modell put the whammy on the judge. And then Scully was like, can you explain the scientific nature of a whammy? And Mulder says, maybe it's some kind of mental trick, some effect produced by the timbre or cadence of his voice. His voice does seem to be the key. And also in that scene in the courtroom, they didn't make sure to give us the spooky music when he was mm-hmm. looking at the judge and talking to him. So you knew something was going on. So yeah. they couldn't animate it like little sparkles or anything. They had to use the music. <laughs> so. Yeah. So then Scully says that Modell's last job was as a convenience store clerk, and he's never been out of the U.S. He's just a little man who wishes he was someone big. And then Scully says if he could actually control people's mind, he'd be an FBI agent right now. And Mulder's like, well, maybe the ability came to him more recently, like in the last two years. And Scully doesn't buy it. And then so Mulder's like, well, then what's your theory? How does she explain what Collins did? He's a family man with no prior history of psychological issues. And Scully says she does believe that Modell is guilty of murder. She's just looking for an explanation more mundane than the whammy. And then Mulder says that he's laughing at them. Mulder does not like to be laughed at, although he puts up with it pretty well, given that everyone's always laughing at spooky Mulder. But, you know, it does wear on you after a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone laughing at him, calling spooky Mulders and going around killing people. It's true. I mean, it's true. not unofficially. So, you know, our FBI agents, they probably are killing people, but. So. <laughs> so speaking of Modell, he walks into FBI headquarters and as soon as he enters the building, he kind of ducks into this alcove and on a square piece of paper, he uses this big black marker and he just writes the word pass, P-A-S-S. And then he, he folds the paper so part of it can stick into his jacket pocket and he can wear it like a pass. And then he walks through the metal detector and up to the guy manning it, Johnson. And Johnson looks at his pass, but doesn't say anything. And Modell's like, where can I find the record section? And Johnson tells him, fourth floor, West Wing. And Modell thanks him and walks on. And after he leaves, Johnson kind of blinks a few times, like maybe something weird just happened. But then he goes back to kind of whammy. He did, he got whammied. And he, he waves people through. 
<laughs> which I don't know, I think I think the scene is really funny just because he's just wearing the word pass and it works and I don't know why but I just find that really amusing cracks me yeah and it works on apparently everyone because he walks out, I know lots of people see him it's just like and, and, like, no and one... like that and that kind of breaks the what's gonna be like his yeah he's not talking he's just walking around well like he's and... got like some aura around him or something that just yeah because he doesn't even say you can see my past you know what i mean yeah, like he doesn't he's even... just like randomly walking down hallways and yeah yeah and this scene in the lobby where model is walking with pass on his jacket actually features a cameo by dave grawl of the foo fighters he's behind model he's wearing this green jacket and he's walking with a woman so if you want to look for david grawl you can actually look it up on youtube there's a guy who like will point it out to you but it's pretty he doesn't look like he does now like he doesn't have facial hair and stuff so he's yeah he looks because he's super young young. it's like just because i mean it's just barely post nirvana yes so yeah yeah. yeah, but yeah if you want to look for dave grawl in this episode this is where you will see him it's right when model walks up to the scanner yeah and he's like right behind him yeah. with a woman kind of yep. coming in. And Johnson is the same dude, speaking of just waving people through, who was manning the detector when and wanted Scully in the blessing way when like she beeped and then he let her go anyway mm-hmm. and then came back and wander again. And then she was like, oh, I'm not wearing <laughs> my necklace. And his name is Ernie Fort. I might be pronouncing his ring wrong. It's got two O's. So I don't know if it's Fort or Fort. I'm just going to say Fort. But yeah, F O O R T. But it's the same yeah. dude. So nice. Well, consistency anyway. So Modell finds the computer records office and walks in and the woman manning the desk is agent Holly Rice, whom we saw earlier. And she asks if she can help him. And Modell just kind of like closes the blinds to the office. And he's like, I need to know something. And then he looks at her badge and he's like, Holly. And then some time has passed and we can see Holly is typing on the computer And her screen flashes a warning that FBI personnel files are property of the FBI. No access without express authorization of the director. And Modell's like, can I maybe have the keyboard for a minute? So she gets up and lets him sit down at the computer. And he hits a few keys and apparently gets what he wants. And then he tells Holly he'd love to get a print out of this. So she bends over him to get the computer to print. And he looks at the bruise around her eye and he kind of like reaches out, but he doesn't quite touch her face. Like he's fingers are right there and he says i wish i could get my hands on the guy who did that to you i'd make him pay yeah he also asked her when he, if he'd get a, a printout if he, then he could get a cup of coffee later so he's being creepy too yeah he so, is he's being very creepy yeah so then a little a little uh if you watch your marvel movies a little, a little purple manish is kind of what his power is really so yeah skinner then is in the hallway and he passes the computer records office and he notes that all the blinds are closed. So he goes in, he opens the door and he sees Modell and Holly standing near the printer. And he's like, can I help you? And Modell says, no, thanks. We're fine. And then Skinner is obviously suspicious and looks at the computer screen. And then Modell tries to get rid of him thinking he's just like some rando dude. Wrong, 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 wrong. Mm-hmm. And Skinner asks who he is and what he's doing there. And Modell's like, get out of here. And actually tries to push him. And then Skinner just, wah, just like grabs him and puts him <laughs> in a chokehold. Boom, like smooth move, just doom, got him. And then Modell's like, let me go, let me go. And Skinner tells him to shut up, and he slams against the file cabinet. And then Skinner tells Holly to call security, but Modell tells Holly that Skinner is the one who mugged her. And Skinner's like, call security. And Modell keeps telling him, like, make him stop hurting me. 
And then Skinner's trying to get Modell to shut up, and he's trying to get Holly to call security, but Holly just stands there. And then Skinner manages to reach the phone on the desk while he's holding Modell, and he calls for security. But in mid-call, Holly whips out her pepper spray and just, like, sprays Skinner. And Skinner doubles over, and then Modell is free, and he tells Holly to hurt him back. And then he runs out the door, and then Holly kicks Skinner several times. Yeah, and then we have commercial. Yeah. Can't put the whammy on Skinner, man. Mm-hmm. No, nope. it doesn't nope. work at nope. all. Nope. <laughs> like nope. a couple of times, Modell is like, let me go. And Skinner's just like, shut up. Like he just yeah. <laughs> So I don't know if Skinner has some like special immunity or just like maybe because his tolerance for bullshit is like at zero percent. So it just does not work on him. But I think it's great that at least one person is like not in any way affected. Yeah. I also like how he just thinks Skinner just some rando dude and is like, hey, get out of here. We're doing fine. We don't need your help. Like, dude, this is a director. So, yeah. Um, I don't know what she, like, was, I I mean, obviously it's supposed to be like pepper spray or mace or something like that. Whatever it was she did spray at him, it came out like in a stream. And then, like, she basically just sprayed his forearm and, like, it was down by his chest and he raised his forearm up to get near his face and she kind of just kept it on the forearm. So it would not have gotten in his face. And even if it had... I mean, he's got glasses on, so it probably would have helped a little bit too. But I, yeah, I get it. TV again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but yeah, he just like oh, like it was like kryptonite <laughs> or something that went down. So I, I was kind of like, oh man, you can't put the whammy on, but woo, get him with some, I don't know, yeah, water. Skinner's and he's gone. <laughs> Skinner's not immune to a very specifically shaped squirt gun from the prop department. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So later in Skinner's office, Holly apologizes to Skinner. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did that. And people are like gathered around near the door. And Skinner basically tells them all to go. And Scully is at the table across from Holly. And so she and Holly stay and Skinner closes the door. And then Scully asks Holly if she can tell them any more about why she attacked Skinner. And Holly says it was like suddenly she was watching herself from across the room. It was like... Modell was inside her head with her. And Mulder opens the door and he asks Skinner if they can speak outside. So Mulder, Scully, and Skinner go out in the hall. And Mulder says he reviewed the building security tapes and Modell can be seen entering and exiting the building with the word pass hanging from his lapel. Guards that waved him by don't even remember seeing him. And Skinner's like, so you're telling me Modell is the reason I have a size seven heel mark on my face? And Scully has apparently come around a little on Modell's powers because she agrees with Mulder. She can't explain how, but she believes Modell is responsible for Skinner's injuries. And Skinner asks why this guy is so interested in Mulder. And Mulder's like, what do you mean? And apparently Modell left with one file, Mulder's. He didn't even access any others. And Scully's like, that means Modell knows where you live. And Skinner says, well, you guys know where Modell lives. Go pick him up. And Mulder's like, for what? The only thing they have on him is criminal trespass. And Skinner's like, well, that's enough for a warrant. Yeah, Mulder, it's called criminal trespass. It's a <laughs> crime. You can go arrest someone for that. <laughs> I mean, it might not be the murders that you want to get him on, but you can at least hold him for a while. So go for it. Yeah, that was weird. It's like, what do we, what, how can we arrest him? The only thing we have on him is criminal trespass. Um, crimes so you can arrest him uh, you know, i mean not he, that i'm like yay please go arrest everybody but i mean right so i mean yeah. in this situation i'm not gonna argue against it either yeah so then an fbi raid team bursts into Modell's apartment and 
the aptly named Burst and Mulder and Scully walking behind them. And the TV's on and it's playing the movie Svengali from 1931 and has the villain hypnotizing a woman. And then Mulder like sticks the warrant on the TV to cover the character's face. And one of the men tells him the apartment is all clear. And so then Mulder tells them to check the whole building and Scully adds they should check the nearby buildings too. They know Medell likes to watch from a distance. And so Burst says he'll go interview some neighbors. And then Mulder pulls on some gloves and he opens the fridge and it's just packed full, like a full, full, full. There's nothing else in this fridge except for cans of Carbo Boost. And Mulder's holding up one of them. It's all mango, kiwi, tropical swirl. But it also has wild strawberry in case you don't like, you know, kiwi, I guess. And then on Modell's shelf, he has books like The Modular Brain and The Phenomenology of Indian Philosophy. He also has a copy that I had and still have, the vintage press edition of Alan Watts' The Way It's In. Nice. So, yeah. Scully's in the bathroom, and she's holding a prescription bottle, and she's on the phone. And then she hangs up and holds up the bottle and tells Mulder it's Tegretol. It's meant to relieve Modell's seizures. He has temporal lobe epilepsy. She just spoke with the doctor's office. They wouldn't tell her much over the phone, but the prescription dates back to April of 1994. And Mulder asks what causes epilepsy later in life. And Scully says a head injury, brain tumor, a lesion. And Mulder says the brain tumors have been linked to the occurrence of psychic ability. And Scully's like, those <laughs> reports are entirely unsubstantiated. So, yeah, she's maybe on board, but not. she's not. I mean, she's on board with Modell is <laughs> doing something and having some kind of sway over people. She's not necessarily on board with total psychic mental control over people. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But Mulder's like, just hear me out. What if Modell's suggestive ability is really just a form of psychokinesis? And Scully's like, brought on by the brain tumor. And Mulder says it fits. And all those drinks in the fridge, maybe he's got to replenish the metabolic energy he uses controlling people's will. And Scully says if he has a brain tumor, the effects on his health would be more debilitating. He wouldn't be well enough to play these cat and mouse games. And Mulder's like, maybe he isn't. At the driving range, maybe he was too sick and exhausted to escape. That's why they were able to catch him and why he was all sweaty and like fell on the horn, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why would a killer who's proficient confess to murder he's already gotten away with? Maybe he's dying. And then Scully's like, and he wants to go out in a blaze of glory. And Mulder's like, mm-hmm, not with a whimper, but with a bang. Whoa. Dun, dun, dun. Then the phone in the apartment rings and a SWAT officer named Brophy starts setting up to trace the call and Burst is getting ready to answer. And so he signals to Mulder and Scully to go in the next room and then they pick up the line in the bedroom and Burst answers the phone. And Modell recognizes Burst's voice and then he asks if Mulder and Scully are there and Mulder's on the other line and he says, yeah, we are. So Modell asks Burst how much he weighs. And at first he's confused and Burst is like, I don't know, 190, 195. And Modell starts going, well, you're easily 215, and that's the wrong weight for your height. Yeah, I don't know. Just insert comment about fat phobia and grossness here. And then Modell starts saying, you're built like a fire plug. And Burst is like, yeah, well, my stubby little legs are going to kick you in the ass. And Modell like, keeps talking about how that can't be healthy, and you look like a smoker. You probably take a little drink now and then, bacon and eggs, probably shake on that salt like a maraca. And Mulder in the next room figures out what Modell is doing. And so he keeps telling Burst, he's like, hang up, hang up. But Burst keeps looking over at the computer that's tracing the call and they only have the area code and maybe like one or two digits. 
So Burst doesn't hang up and he ignores Mulder and he's just like clinging to the phone, holding it against his ear as Modell keeps talking about like plaque on his arterial walls and he starts looking like he's in pain. So Mulder actually runs into the room and tries to pull the phone away from him, but Burst will like not let it go. And then Mulder tries to use the receiver to hang up, but he's pushed back by Burst and one of the guys tracing the call. So he's kind of like pushed away from it. And then Scully walks in and says Mulder in like kind of like a what are you doing way. And Mulder like yells like for somebody to hang up the phone. So Scully sees where the phone cord is attached to the wall. And so she runs for the phone cord and she's going to like unplug it, but she stopped too. So they don't let her get there. And Modell finished his monologue by saying, your heart flatlines. Beep. And then burst falls over. Yep. And then it's commercial. You know what that yeah. means. You know what that means. Oh, oh dear. Yeah. The, uh, the phone tracker thing is, is 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 hilarious because like they're uh, so i get like you would get the area code first because you know that's a general area but then like it's like unlocking numbers like one at a time and i'm like dude it's not like a decoder ring it's it, like doesn't work that way i'm sorry you can like get it all at once it's not like oh it's we got the area code and then it's like five five like it, it was it was hilarious i thought it was funny but anyway again i'm sure people don't know so but it was just it made me laugh yeah it's it's definitely you know over dramatic also i don't know why <laughs> burst just refuses to give up the phone like he doesn't have to like sit there and like well yeah you could even just set the phone down you don't have to hang up like he's just jabbering away you don't even need to listen to him like there's two right there's at least at least one other person possibly two other people listening in and at least one of them Mulder, has the ability to like chime in and keep him talking if necessary like you don't need to listen to anything he's saying you could just have the just keep him on the phone i but know yeah, burst is like like it's like glued like he can't take it away from his ear like it's glued to his ear it's ridiculous it's kind of weird so, and like at first i was like why doesn't he just hang up and then i'm like well are they playing the call on speaker would it not matter but i don't think they are no so, well, i think part of it's supposed to be that not only is model probably like somehow making his body like do whatever it's going to do to give him a heart attack but also it's like somehow keeping like, him put, holding it keeping yeah him, like he can't like because the way especially the way he's gripping it he's gripping it almost manically like he like is trying to get it inside his head so yeah it's like he, a death grip he's got yeah so he's it, like yeah. he's not able to take the phone away so maybe he's like yeah. maybe the reason why he looks that way is because he's actually trying to pull away from his ear and can't who knows i don't so that would make sense yeah So Scully checks the pulse, but there isn't one. And she says for someone to get an ambulance. And Mulder picks up the phone, which Burst dropped. And Mulder asks Modell what he wants. And Modell says, a worthy adversary. He's hoping it's Mulder. And Mulder's like, why me? And Modell tells him that he's read all about him. He's a top profiler, a university grad, and an all-around bright young man. And then he says, you know what makes guys like me tick, right? You think you can see right through old Bob Modell. And Mulder says, sick old Modell, you're dying, aren't you? What, you want to take a few innocent people with you? So Scully, meanwhile, gives up on the chest compressions, shaking her head at someone else. I think it's at Brophy, actually, like this isn't working. And Modell says, biology says we're all dying. And original sin says no one is innocent. And Mulder's like, yeah, well, some are more innocent than others. And then he asks where Modell is. 
And Modell's like, what? You want the phone number? And then he gives them the phone number, which he says is 555-0197, which is what the tracer has finally shown because the tracer has finally just now finished and it shows the exact same number on the screen. And Modell tells them it's just a pay phone. And in two minutes, I'll be gone. And Mulder, furious, is like, you mean you killed this man for nothing, you sick bastard? And Modell laughs. And he's like, me? No. Haven't you caught on, Mulder? They all kill themselves. And then Modell hangs up. If I ever need CPR, I hope Scully is nowhere <laughs> near me because I want to live. Because she, she always is like, huh, huh. oh, I'm done. It didn't work. Sorry, you're dead. Like, no, 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 no. Well, if you ever collapse somewhere and Skelly runs up to give you CPR, I'll be like, someone else. Yeah, someone pull her else. off. Pull her off the way <laughs> she would pull someone off like three seconds later. Just like, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, dear. <laughs> so Mulder asks Brophy where Modell is calling from. And Brophy tells him that it's a gas station parking lot. So he pulls up a map and he shows them. And it's a payphone, just like Modell said. And Mulder notes that Fairfax Mercy Hospital is right down the street from that gas station. And Scully pulls the prescription bottle out of her pocket and realizes that it was filled at the hospital pharmacy. So she guesses he probably needs regular treatment. And Mulder says they should go find out. (gasps) I do love that she has the prescription bottle in her pocket. Like, I get why. The phone rang. She was holding it. I mean, but it's evidence it should be in a bag. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, it's fine. It just thinks it's funny that she just, like, shoved it in her pocket. I don't know. <laughs> that'll, that'll come up in the next episode too, where she like is sticking things in her pockets. But <laughs> anyway, so then the SWAT team has the hospital surrounded on all sides and they're up on the roof with like sniper rifles and everything. And one of the SWAT guys walks by and he touches the hood of a car in the parking lot. And then he nods. We're assuming that's probably like Modell's car and like the engine's still warm. And then Brophy is in a van and he's monitoring the situation. And someone radios in and says they found Modell's car and the engine is still warm. So I was right. Yay, I'm smart. Anyway, they say that Modell is probably in the building. So Mulder and Scully are in the van with Brophy. And then someone else radios in to say they have all entrances covered. Do they hold or go in? And Scully's on the phone and Mulder says to hold. So Scully hangs up and says that Modell was scheduled for an appointment at 2.30 for an MRI. And that's right now. So Scully was obviously on the phone with the hospital. Mm -hmm. And Brophy asks how they want to play it. Mulder thinks he should go in alone. And Brophy's like, my team can flush him out. But Mulder is worried that Modell might turn one of his team members against the others in a crowded hospital. Mulder thinks that they should give him what he wants. And Scully's like, you. And Mulder says they'll stand a better chance if they're separated. He'll go in wired so they can monitor him at all times. And Brophy wires Mulder up and gives him a special headset with a camera. And the headset is designed for bomb disposal work. And Mulder jokes, and he's like, does this thing get the Playboy channel? Brophy laughs. And Scully looks super worried. And then Mulder hands her his gun, and she tells him to take it. But he's like, no, I don't want to end up pointing to anyone except Modell. And Scully puts her hand on his, and then he says, let's get this show on the road. Yep. (laughs) So in the script, the joke was originally, does this thing get Discovery Channel? But David Duchovny kind of thought that Playboy Channel worked better for Mulder, because Mulder's obviously Mm -hmm. Mulder hard spoofs. And so that's what they ended up going with. Yep. Uh, Brophy is played by Roger R. Cross, who was Lieutenant Kettle in Fresh Bones. And funnily enough, he's actually credited as SWAT lieutenant here. Also, for continuity purposes, Brophy was the man in front of Modell at the grocery store who was wearing the jacket that said FBI when Modell pulled the patch down. So I, I'm not sure what the whole like SWAT 
if like if all these SWAT dudes are FBI dudes or if they're cop dudes. Um, additionally, our assumptions based on just how the behaviors are working is that Burst would maybe be a detective, but then he knows Collins really well and Collins is supposedly a federal agent, although he's also maybe a SWAT. So I think it's just like cops. They're cops. <laughs> so it's just a hint. It's like a grab bag of police. Yeah. I mean, that is that does like like we, we talked about like Vince Gilligan wrote this one. He also wrote Soft Light. And remember in Soft Light, Scully was supposedly Detective Ryan's instructor at the Academy, even though like cops and FBI are completely different agencies. So, I mean, maybe Vince Gilligan just just like cops are cops. And so. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Which I haven't seen Breaking Bad, but I feel like that would really fit into that world <laughs> model. So maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you may have learned something in like, you know, the 20 years after that, but. You know, oh, yeah, totally. So. I just, I wouldn't, I would believe that in that world, cops are just all cops would probably fit very well as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, they kind of are, but yeah. Anyways, so. I mean, true. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. It's not totally wrong. It's just really unclear here for script purposes what's going on, but that's okay. Yeah, but Frank Burst is credited both just in different locations as just Frank Burst and then as Agent Frank Burst. I'm going to assume he's an FBI agent. So I'm assuming maybe all these SWAT are also like FBI tactical dudes. And there's no, even though they were working with police earlier and there was a deputy. So again, it's like, oh, I don't know. So yeah, (laughs) Who knows what's going on? It doesn't matter. They're all, yeah, never mind. I thought I had a joke and I don't. They're all trying to keep the public safe. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, is that what cops do? Interesting. Check and serve. So- Check and serve. Sounds fake, but okay. So Mulder heads into the hospital, and because his vest and headset are like super noticeable, as he's walking in, and once he gets in, people just turn and stare at him. It's really yeah. funny. I don't think I it's know to be this funny, becomes a hilarious. thing in an episode at some point in the future. But Mulder kind of like he's getting ready to play laser tag. He's got like, the big vest. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, it, he totally looks like, like ready for laser tag. And everyone is just looking at him like, what is with that guy? And it seems weird that vest would not have like FBI or SWAT or something emblazoned on it. Right. Because it's definitely an over vest that you would wear over your stuff. It's not like a Heidi vest. Mm-hmm. So. so Mulder flashes his badge to a nurse, the nurse's station and just tells her to go about her business as usual. And as he moves down a hall, he asks if Scully reads him and we see she's seated in the van and she has a headset of her own and she's watching this monitor and she says she's with him. And he's like, nothing out of the ordinary. And Brophy is next to Scully and he tells the SWAT team to keep holding. So he's also keeping track of what's going on. So Mulder passes a room where a nurse is standing at a patient's bed. And then all of a sudden the sound of bullets rings out and the nurse startles and Mulder says into his microphone, shots fired. And Brophy starts to call the SWAT team, but Mulder says, not yet. And he tells the people in the hall to keep moving. He's a federal agent. And his camera gets kind of fuzzy and cuts out. And Scully gets up about to maybe run inside. But then the picture comes back. And as soon as it comes back, there are dead people on the floor of an MRI room. And Mulder's like, are you getting this? And the dead men appear to be a man in a lab coat and a security guard. And Mulder says that it looks like the guard shot the technician and then himself. But the guard's gun is missing. Mm. And Mulder tells Brophy to warn his men that Modell may be headed their way. And Scully tells Mulder to get close to the computer monitor because it shows the scan of what is presumably Modell's brain. So he moves towards it and Scully points out the white mass in the temporal lobe. And she tells him to look for Modell's chart because she figures it'll be right around there. So Mulder finds it. And according to the chart, Modell has a six centimeter brain tumor. 
And Mulder says they were right. Modell's dying. He's got nothing to lose. And Scully tells Mulder to get out of there. And Mulder shows the MRI machine for a minute. And then he turns around and we see Modell is behind him pointing a gun at Mulder's face. <gasps> and then it's like he like grabs Mulder's headset or something and like rips it off or something. Can we see like yeah. goes black? I wonder if the whole like Mulder's like Mulder's signal breaks up. I wonder if that was maybe supposed to be because the MRI had been activated, possibly, or if it's just maybe, like, or because he walked into the room and the magnet. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Something. Yeah. You don't walk too close to the microwave, listen to your Bluetooth headphones, they'll start to get wonky. So, yeah. Anyway, Scully rips off her headset and rushes out, followed by Brophy. And inside the hospital, Brophy tells Scully they think Mulder and Modell are three doors down and that they have both ends covered, but there are six critical care rooms they can't get to. And if they gas the halls, it might kill the patients. So I'm not going to do that. Scully hands Brophy her gun, and Brophy asks why they keep giving this guy what he wants. And Scully says to wait for a signal from her. So he puts her gun in his vest, and then Scully heads down the hall and slowly opens a door where they believe Mulder is. She sees Mulder's vest and headset on the floor, and then there's a patient unconscious in the bed. But as she opens the door further, first we see Mulder seated at a table, and then we see Modell is sitting across from him. And both of them have their palms on the desktop and they're staring at each other. And the gun is on the table between them. And Modell says, thanks for joining us. And Scully tells him they have a dozen officers in the hall, another 30 outside. Whatever he's got planned is not going to work the way he wants it to. And Modell says she doesn't know what he has planned. And Scully looks at the gun on the table and then sits in a chair between Modell and Mulder. And then Modell picks up the gun and Mulder's just sitting there still and expressionless. And both Modell and Mulder are sweaty. Mulder was kind of sweaty already, just because, I guess, you know, don't know what's going on. He ain't got no gun. So Modell spins <laughs> the chamber of the gun, which apparently only contains one bullet. And then he goes in this whole thing about, like, Budo teaches the warrior to leave himself outside the battle and therefore disregard his own death. Because of that, the Budo warrior always wins. I am that warrior. He's a doof, basically. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I don't fear my death. And then he slides the gun over to Mulder and tells him he's going to give him one pull of the trigger. A one in six chance. And Mulder reaches for the gun. And then Modell reaches out and grabs Mulder's hand. And is like, one pull. I mean, maybe he's not sure if like his power is going to work or something. He had to give him that one little extra, like, oh, just to be on the table. Mm -hmm. one, only one. You only get it one well, time. Don't pull it twice. Didn't work on Skinner. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Just in case. So Mulder lifts the gun and Scully tells him to wait. There's pure oxygen in this room. If he fires the gun, there's no telling what might happen. But before she finishes, Mulder pulls the gun, but it just clicks. No bullet in the chamber. And then Modell says, your turn. And Scully is like, no, no. And Modell says, yes, yes. And then Mulder puts the gun to his head and just pulls the trigger. Nothing happens. Was, yeah. Uh, so then Scully yeah. leaps up and screams at him. He's like, you bastard. Um, I'm not sure why she hasn't like tried for the gun at some point yet. But anyway, she demands that he hand her the gun. And Mulder aims it at Modell, but then slowly turns and aims it at Scully. And Scully is like, what? And she's like, you don't have to do this. You're stronger than this, Mulder. And Modell says, your turn, Scully. You got to play by the rules. And Scully's like, Mulder, don't do this. And the model is like, come on, she shot you. I read it in your files. Payback time. <laughs> Which, I don't 
I, it's a I good callback, but it's also just really funny. I, I have to admit, I totally love that part because it's like, yep, <laughs> she did. She sucks you, dude. But, <laughs> <laughs> she did. I mean, she had a good reason and it worked, but like, yeah, she did shoot uh, yeah. you. So anyway, she oh, could have sought fry chicken the shoulder just as easily and solved the situation. <laughs> but no, she sought Mulder in the shoulder. But anyway. Well, I think she also had to just subdue him because at that point he was just off the rails. But yeah, no. I mean, I'm pretty it's, sure a gunshot, a gunshot, no matter what, would like snap someone out of it. But yeah, she she made she made her, her choice. She decided who she was going <laughs> to shoot. So and now anyway. she has to live with it. <laughs> That's right. Bite you in the ass. Now randos just throw it back in her in face. Ass. That's right. So Scully's looking <laughs> into a mirror behind them, and she sees something. We're not sure what though, but she sees something. And Mulder still has the gun on her. But says, I'm going to kill you, Modell. So, like, he still has, it's kind of like when Collins was like, you know, please stop me, even though he was like trying to light himself right. on fire. So, like, there's still some level of like agency, but just not like physical control. And Mulder tells Scully to run. And then his finger starts to squeeze the trigger, but she runs out of the room and she pulls the fire alarm. She saw a fire alarm in the mirror. And so, I guess the fire alarm kind of snaps Mulder out of it. He turns the gun on Modell and fires. Boom. And apparently, that bullet was in the chamber for that one that hits him hard and knocks him sideways out of the chair. And then Mulder like throws the table aside and stands over him. And she's all like, bow, 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 bow. But of course it's empty, right? Just click, 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 click. But he's still like, just keeps pulling that trigger just to make sure. And then the SWAT team rush into the room and Mulder sits down and he slowly hands the gun to Scully. It's all yeah. over. Ooh, Man, I love that close. though. She shot you. <laughs> It's good. Oh, poor Scully. But I mean, to be fair, if I ever shot a friend, I would expect that to get brought up all the time. So, you know, you're never going to live that one down. And then Modell is lying in a hospital bed with his face bandaged and he's got this breathing tube and Mulder standing over him and Scully comes in and she says that it's unclear how long Modell will hang on, but he'll never regain consciousness. And Mulder says they were wrong about him receiving treatment. The MRIs were just a way for him to gauge how much life he had left, but he consistently refused treatment. The tumor was operable, but he refused to have it removed. And Scully asks why. And Mulder says, well, it's like you said, he was always such a little man. And this was something that made him feel big. And he reaches over and he takes Scully's hand. And Scully says she thinks they shouldn't let him take up another minute of their time. So she walks out and Mulder gives Modell one last look. He follows her out of the room. And that's the end. Yep. They can go make out. Maybe. <laughs> They're holding hands. Life's too short. Let's just do this. <laughs> Although, I mean, maybe actually. Yeah. I could I could fit that into my, my worldview of Mulder and Scully. The network's main note for this episode was basically they just didn't want to do the Russian roulette scene. Their main concern was that it might give impressionable kids any ideas, and apparently Gilligan managed to convince them. <laughs> His argument, from what I read, was basically like, well, kids already know that guns exist, and it's like, okay. Well, and also, sure. my, my argument for it would be like, I came up with this idea. Kids already know it. Like they're not going to get it from me. Yeah. So. I think that was part of that. Well, and his, his other thing was that, you know, you've already seen that on TV. It's not like it's never yeah. been shown. So kids have already seen it in movies and stuff. It's not going to just suddenly pop into their brains out of nowhere. Without, without, without intentionally taking a dig at him. I mean, like, no, like I came up with this on my own. It already exists out there. So. Yeah. And apparently casting Modell was really tough. And at one point they had actually considered Harvey Firestein for the role. Which would have been really interesting. I think it would have been a very different episode just because of 
I mean, and not that he couldn't do it, but I just feel like it would have given it a totally different kind of tone or something. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I, it's, again, you can't, you know, counterfactual, you don't know. I think the biggest right. thing that that would have been was just his, because his voice, right? Yeah. You know, he's got a super distinctive voice. So, which is apparently because he was born with extra folds in his throat, like in his voice oh, okay. box thing he actually, actually has extra folds in his vocal cords and that's why so he's when he talks he's actually talking twice so he's actually like uh, yeah cool i like every first no he's really good i looked him up recently and almost didn't recognize him because i'm so used to seeing him with oh, obviously he's older now right so he's got the white hair but like just, i'm just so used to just seeing him with a beard and stuff like that and apparently he's like clean shaven a lot now so oh interesting yeah, yeah i haven't seen him recently at all Wiseman came in at the last minute and he read for the part and basically blew them all away. And they're like, okay, we got to use this guy. So it worked out. They found the guy. Mm. Yay. Yeah. It, we've kind of talked about Vince Gilligan's script a little bit already, but like this is just a data set of two. But so far, both his scripts revolve around someone being granted powers through like some biological alteration, right? Because we had soft light mm -hmm. with the particle accelerator that somehow exists in a small room. And then we've got this one with a tumor. And then I was I was yeah. trying to think because we had we also had DPO or something similar also happened. Someone suddenly gets power. They're struck by lightning. And yeah. then I thought there was another one that we had recently talked about because like DPO came up and I I realized it was the walk because just both because both those characters are not super likable, but also kind of the same thing, right? I mean, they don't really explain how he gets those powers in the walk, but obviously he did have some physical stuff going on that may or may not have contributed to it. So. Yeah, I think he. I think we're supposed to figure out that Rappo like learned those powers because he yeah. was so. I don't know. I kind angry. of took it. I mean, I one, I don't think he's really smart enough to learn those powers. But then also, I think it's that kind of thing of like you know, like when you lose one sense, another one becomes strong. That kind of thing. And since he lost his physical body, basically, he was able to have a spiritual body. I don't know. But, yeah, maybe I don't know. I also wonder why Modell's entire head and left eye are bandaged. Like, did Mulder shoot him in the eye? Like, what happened? Like, no, I think it's because he fell out of the chair and hit his head. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, at that range, that gun would have blown the back of his head out. So, yeah, no, I think he got shot like in the chest okay. or something. I, like, I did do shoulder, a frame by frame. They didn't like over. bother with a squib or anything. Like, he has no wound at all when he shot. He just like jumps up and falls to the floor, I guess, because you're not going to see it. So they didn't bother with it. But yeah, so it's hard to see where he, I mean, I would assume he got shot in the chest, like in or shoulders or something. Yeah, I think but, like so. when you see him, like his whole his whole head is bandaged and like one of his eye actually has like a pad over it. And there's bandaging over that, too. I was like, what happened there? So I think it's just because he fell out of the chair. Fall out of the chair, kids. <laughs> So, of course, that <laughs> he fell out pretty well, hard. Like it kind of knocked is, him over. That would also be the side of his head where he has the tumor, based on that. Scan. Right. So maybe it like pushed on his eyeball section or something. And I don't That's know. That's entirely possible. Part of the tumor yeah. came out of his eye, and so I don't know. Maybe I don't know either. Yeah. Not too broken up about it though. No. <laughs> Well, do we just jump into ratings? Do we have anything else for this one? I don't, no, I, don't I think that's else. all I had. Yeah, I don't have, yeah, I this, don't this have isn't a, a big talker, honestly. So, yeah, there's not a lot to say about it. I do think it was a good episode. I think that it's genuinely terrifying to think that somebody could talk you into doing horrible things that you don't want to do. Like, I find that really yeah, scary. Yeah, the, the premise is good. Yeah, I think the premise works. 
I think it's a pretty solid episode. Like there are parts of it that are a little bit like, well, how does this power work? Because like he's got that pass and he's walking around like, I don't know. It just seems to be able to Jedi mind trick people. Well, we know that's how so like, it's a little unclear. We are talking psychokinesis here. And we know when we start getting into like psycho stuff and that kind of thing. When the X-Files is just like you get you get all the powers. everything. You get all the powers. Yeah. yeah. So there is a little bit of that. But in terms of episodes, I think it's solid. I think it's good. It's entertaining. Like. I just I love the little details like the cans of just carbo boost in his fridge and it's got two flavors I looked for more I couldn't find more <laughs> just wild strawberry and the mango tango kiwi whatever it was I don't know yeah I just I thought it was a fun episode to watch I enjoyed it I think for me this is probably a seven I don't like it as much as soft light it also didn't have Tony Shalhoub which come on um because you can't put him in everything <laughs> plus that guy you know in this universe that guy's already but anyway yeah i mean it's good i think it's pretty solid like i i like soft light better but i think vince gilligan has at least a good handle on what makes a good episode this one didn't turn out as great if but it was not good. law enforcement agencies and how they interact no he, he's not created that but like again i think he realized in the 90s no one really cared anyway it was just like a bunch of random cops and no one's gonna be like oh is that supposed to be SWAT? I mean, I don't know. I'm sure some people at the time were like, wait, what agency is this? I think we're just supposed to assume they're all FBI and they have their own SWAT division. I don't know. But yeah, it's good. Okay. It's a seven. I'm going to give it a four. Because okay. honestly, it was boring. Oh. It was just like, yeah, I'd like never any like, I don't know, level of interest or anything. It was just boring. Like I said, like the premise is good, but they just, it wasn't. Yeah, I, I was just bored. Yeah, that's fair. So, yep. That's all I got to say. I mean, I was so bored. That's literally all I have to say. I'm done. <laughs> done. Nick doesn't even want to complain about it. I don't want to complain so about it being it. so boring because I'm just so <laughs> bored by it. That just doesn't, yeah. <laughs> I thought that it would have been good if it does feel like things wrap up really quickly. Like they get the clues pretty easily and then he kills birds. Well, that's the thing. Like, then, like, why did it take you two years to figure out who was to get the? I mean, obviously they did get him, but again, they told took him like two years. Like, his clues are like knockoff Riddler clues, basically. It's like, come on. Well, it didn't take them two years because they weren't looking for him because the deaths were suicide. I forget when did Burst say that? I think it was about a month ago. Okay. I think it was about a month. So I think he's only been looking for him. Okay, for yeah. So he's not month. hard to find. So I no. Mean, yeah. So. I mean, he's not a criminal mastermind. He's some jerk with a brain tumor yeah. <laughs> who's talking people into doing horrible things. Yeah, to and themselves. it's not unlike we we were we were unsure in DPO if like the lightning strike also affected his like inhibition thing kind of thing. Like he wasn't, you know, super smart before, but like the whole like killing people thing. Whereas this dude was a a dick before he got a tumor. So yeah. Yeah, he was probably, yeah, not a nice person. And then he got a tumor with powers, realized he could make people do what he wanted and decided that instead of having his tumor operated out with a chance of recovery, he would rather go around telling people to jump in front of trains. Yeah, that was so instead of using, like, even years. Scully mentions, like, so instead of making your life, like, super easy and better by using your powers of persuasion, he just likes to make people, like, kill themselves. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you could have used that ability to get yourself, like, a really good job well, not even a um, job. You could get your ability to just get people to give you money or to have swindled someone out of money and not have to work. Like, why would you want a job? Yeah, that's true. I think too small. <laughs> You're right. 
<laughs> See, I'm thinking like, <laughs> because what, well, what I'm thinking is that he can use that power to get himself in a better position and then get the tumor pulled out, right? Like he doesn't have to spend very long using that ability. And then as soon as he gets himself in a good position where he's got like good income, or like you said, just like a huge bank account full of money where he's set, mm -hmm. he can then have the operation and get treatment so he doesn't die. and live like yeah. a really swell life. Like he could have been, you know, but no, instead he wants to go around telling people to kill themselves. Like, okay, dude, that's what you want to use superpower for. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I do think it's genuinely terrifying, but also you're just kind of a dick. Yeah, I'm going to die. So, wow. so are you people. Haha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Quit trying to drag me into talking about this, Tori. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. We're done. It's a seven for me. Nick gives it a four. And that was Pusher. Pusher. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and edited by Lazy End Productions. That's right. We made this. And be sure to join us next time as we rewatch The X-Files Season 3, Episode 18, Teso Dos Bichos. And try to figure out if the, the truth, truth is still, still out there. there. Market, he can see a police car pull into the parking lot through the through he can see a he can see a police car pull in through into the parking lot and then he's like and then I might have to do this because I said all the stuff at the end of the sentence in the beginning of the sentence <laughs> and it was at the end of the sentence okay, okay. <laughs> threw me off like there was one part too in um in um in the next one we wrote he sees a bloody smear of blood and I'm like Tori a bloody smear of blood <laughs> well it is a bloody smear of blood how do you want me to describe that come on sometimes there's just not i mean it's a visual it's hard to come up with the words he's, he's a bloody smear i guess but it's of blood yeah anyway look i had a really, really long week oh my god blood <laughs> To be fair, that's not as bad as some of the writing on that episode. But <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um, so.